People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome to our Kardashian Season 3, Episode 2 Recap. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. We are so back, Julie. I loved this episode. I mean, was this not our ideal? Specifically that scene with Kim, Chloe, and Scott, where they're talking about the show in the show, that is the exact type of content that we specifically really appreciate. I mean, anytime they're sitting hanging out, discussing, recapping, like that's what makes it our ideal episode. And so not just that scene, but the scene also with Chris and Kim and Kim's bed, like that added up to make it exactly what we want in a viewing experience. Yeah. We don't need the bells and whistles. Like just talk about the stuff we want to hear and do so in sweatpants on the bed, on the couch. And we are so here for it. I can't wait to get into that scene. Okay. Honestly, let's just go. (laughs) Who, Who needs an introduction? Let's just get right in. You ready? Duh, I was born ready. So we pick up right where we left off last week with Kim and Chris in Kim's bedroom. And it's really a continuation of this Kanye conversation. You know, Kim is saying, I don't want to be a part of this narrative. And it's like, when is this ever going to end? She's like, I am stuck with this for the rest of my life. And she's talking about the difficulties with the kids, all of that. But really the first point that I think is worth us discussing is when she says, and sometimes I feel like if he were to hit rock bottom, that's his journey that he needs to figure out on his own. They used to run around and call everyone behind his back and be like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Just give him another chance. I used to spend hours and hours of my days as the cleanup crew, which that is a line I really want to dissect for a minute. What? This is prime example of like, no, we have never been privy to the exact logistics that went down, not only with Kim, but really more so with Kanye's team and the people most closely associated with him of what was the immediate aftermath after a, a situation that he created for himself. But even just this one little interaction gave us a little bit of insight of just how in the weeds she and everyone else kind of was. Well, what's really interesting about it too is that it gives us a glimpse, like you said, into what happened in the immediate aftermath. But the idea of Kim playing cleanup crew extended far beyond like that immediate. You know what I mean? Like Kim was doing interviews when they were married. Kim was defending him to the death. Kim was saying that her favorite thing about him was how outspoken he was and how he said whatever was on his mind. And so even after the drama of whatever the most pressing thing at the moment was kind of died down, she was still on the front lines defending him to almost stretch that out as long as she could. I know, but only what we saw of that was the role she played in the media. What I would 
be so curious to know, and I don't think it's details we will ever get, is what were the phone calls she was making behind the scenes, you know? That's what she's giving us a little glimpse of. And also she specifically says they here, like they would call everybody, which means it was her, but also his entire team and probably her PR team and everybody working together because what happened with him also affected her. And so at a certain point, and Chris says it, that's why you guys got divorced. You couldn't do this anymore and you shouldn't have been expected to do it in the first place. But in the moment, Kim was of course protecting him. Kim was of course protecting her kids, but she was also protecting herself. I mean, yeah, but okay. So even aside from calling, as she says in, in you know this quote, different people to give him another chance, like, you know what I want to know? I want audio of the call Kim is making to Dave Chappelle when she says, you got to get to Wyoming. Hypothetically, I'm not saying that definitely happened, but you remember when Dave and other people were going to to see Kanye at a really delicate time in his life? Like that is the kind of stuff, the the phone calls between Kim and the people in Kanye's most inner circle. Well, Kim makes a comment before she says about, you know, him hitting rock bottom and, and having to make these calls. She makes a comment about if people knew what had gone on then they they wouldn't even believe it, but she would never do that to her kids. She would never expose the things that we don't already know. I believe that there is going to be one day that we get a full tell-all from Kim. You do? Yeah, I do. I think when the it's going to be far in the future and it's going to be when the kids are much, much older and they've already had time to understand what happened and process and form their own opinions as adults. But I, I do think that that is something that we eventually will get. It may not be as you know interesting to us at the time as it will be years and years and years and years after the facts, but I do think one day she will want to tell her full truth. I'm going to tell you something right now. This could happen in 50 fucking years, Julie. It will be as interesting then as it is today. I cannot well, even I, believe those words just came out of your mouth. You're talking to us. I mean, Kim Kardashian is going to release a tell-all about the intricacies of her phone conversations with the people closest to Kanye in the midst of like the most public battle ever. And you and I are not going to be 90s years old, losing our fucking minds over it. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. We're going to have book club at the retirement home. Yes, we are. We are going to lead that shit. What's also interesting is the conversation that her and Chris have about what the kids know, because Chris starts to bring up the fact that, you know, North is now nine. Like it's, it's hard to hide stuff from her and she's sure that she knows on some level. And Kim says, what's actually crazy is that she doesn't know. Like when something happens, it's like the whole house gets affected. There's this chain reaction. There's no TV allowed, only Apple TV. You can't risk an access Hollywood commercial coming up. And so What's really interesting is to see the contrast between Chris as their grandmother, assuming what they might know, and Kim as their mom, making sure they don't know. I did think it was really interesting to hear Kim basically outline to Chris the safeguards that she has in place to prevent the kids from seeing anything, which I fully believe her. I guess my question, which really isn't one that we can answer, but no matter what she does in her own home, how can she 100% guarantee that once they go out into the world, once they go out into school with other kids that have technology that, you know, they're not going to see something she doesn't want them to see, which I guess her answer to that is, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, we do our best. And if that happens, I trust myself to be able to have that conversation. It's just such a unique circumstance of like, your parents are two of the most famous people in the world. So something as small as going to the dentist and access Hollywood being on in the waiting room all of a sudden that could undo all of the protection that you've done in your house. You know, I just have a lot of compassion for the spot that she's in. But what I really wanted to touch on is at the end when she says, you know, I go into crisis mode, which to me, 
just makes me feel like this is clearly a mode she has to go into frequently enough of, you know, knowing exactly what has to be put in place, knowing exactly what has to be done. It's almost like having this backup plan that then gets put into motion. And I just couldn't help but feel like that is not good for anyone's nervous system. You know, it, it makes me feel as though for the last... I don't know, year or two, Kim has just been existing in a constant state of being on edge. And say what you want about her, I think she handles it pretty damn well. It's impossible circumstances. T- to your first point, before I get into the second point, I just don't know. I know Kim has said in podcasts before that she's in contact with all of North's teachers and anything that gets said in the classroom, she is the first one to know about. And so... I- <laughs> I guess the hope there is just that every other kid is made aware by their own parents what can and can't be said to North in terms of controlling the entire world around her and social media and phones. And I don't have that answer, but apparently Kim has been able to keep it under control up to this point. In terms of the no way to live, it 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 is no way to live. I mean, the, yeah, like you said, it kind of is like, a protocol that they have every single time. Like she knows exactly what to do. It's not like this is happening and she's guessing how to keep her kids from it this wave. It's like this happens and we know exactly what happens next. What I think is the main piece here is that as much as it sucks for Kim to have to do this, it's kind of like the last piece of control that she has over this situation. And so, yes, of course, this is for the sake of her kids and keeping her kids from finding out. But she knows that the kids are going to find out eventually. This can't be kept from them for so much longer. It's it's impossible at a certain point. And so what she's holding on to here is the last piece of control she has over what Kanye has done to her life. A thousand percent. And it's a great point. I think it's that in addition to the fact, as she even says in the scene, you know, I can only control how I react. So it's both things. It's like how she reacts emotionally and publicly, and then also how she is able to maintain kind of this, the safety within her own home. It's just a, it's just a really upsetting reality. I mean, listen, of of course, you know, the not elephant in the room, but the thing that we would be remiss to not acknowledge, although it's pretty obvious is yes. Is this a real conversation going on between Chris and Kim? Absolutely. Is it also potentially Kim's most powerful way to tell her side of the story in a way that I, I would say makes the audience more compassionate to her than they have been at times? Also, absolutely. You know, it's her show for her to be able to have this uninterrupted time where she can frame the conversation exactly how she wants it. She can communicate exactly what she wants. It's not on someone else's podcast. It's not on a written Instagram story. You know, like everything that she is going through is 100% real, but let's also not, and, and this isn't a negative, but like, let us not forget that this is her way of not controlling the narrative, but doing the best to give her side of the story in exactly the way she wants it to be told, I think. Well, that was the missing piece when they're having the conversation in the next scene, and I'm not ready to move there yet. I know I know, we're both really excited, but that was the missing piece of the conversation in the next scene where they're talking about why they continue to do the show and what they get out of doing the show and what they enjoy about the show. The biggest piece of the show is the ability to control and tell their own narrative. And it's really interesting with the Kim and Kanye stuff because it's a situation that should be very cut and dry. Like there should only be one side of this. If you're really looking at this, Kim is continuously being harassed by her ex-husband and being put in a very, very difficult position by somebody who continues to insist on making her life hell. And then as a result of that, 
affects their children. Like she said last week, his words and what he has said will do more than her tape ever could. But people hate her and the family so deeply that when these things happen, it's not like everyone then jumps to Kim's defense and everyone's on her side and at least she has the power of the internet behind her. It's that people hate her so deeply that even Kanye at his worst saying his most disgusted thing will be defended pretty evenly as Kim is being defended. I, I know. I mean, listen, it's obviously not a reality that we can insert ourselves into because we are so on the other side of that. But for a lot of people, that is the case, which is why I'm saying, if you're Kim, of course you are going to take this opportunity to tell your side in exactly this type of way. And by the way, you know, in exactly this way, meaning sitting on her bed, no makeup, swept hands, like every single thing about this was highly authentic, but highly intentional. And I completely respect that choice. This is her most effective medium at doing something that she shouldn't have to do in the first place. Exactly. Okay. Before getting into the Kim, Chloe, and Scott of it all, I just want to spend a moment on when they're having this meeting in the Skims office about the Dolce Gabbana show. And she's saying in her confessional, you know, this is the first time she's done something like this. And she loves proving herself and stepping out of her comfort zone, similar to how she did with SNL, which... I am very aware that SNL exists on its own as one of her greatest accomplishments. However, I would be lying to you if I said that there's not a part of me that also loves when she mentions it, because to me, it's like a subtle reminder of Pete. Can I tell you something crazy? Yes. Okay. You know how on Instagram story, it does the memory. So it's like on this day last year, on this day, two years ago, et cetera. Yes. I just clicked on ours from what it would have been on this day last year. And it was... The episode of the Kardashians where Kim says, okay, you guys have worn me down. This is how it went down with Pete. So she tells us that. And then, Em, our story after that is a bowl of peaches tagging Timothy Chalamet on this day last year. That's crazy. Is that crazy? Wait, are we like a little psychic? <laughs> this today is the day when the Kylie Timothy photos came out, which I know we are consciously not talking about until Tuesday's episode, but... Wow, life comes at you fast, huh? No, that's crazy. I honestly can't wait till a year from now when we look back on our memories from this week and we see what underlying significance something we posted this week has. I hope Ariana and Timmy are hooking up. (laughs) Ariana Maddox? Yes. I cannot with you and these Vanderpump references. You are a (laughs) certified Bravo-holic. I cannot believe I live to see the day. Unfucking believable. <laughs> it's, you guys don't understand. She is watching Vanderpump live. I mean, I have never seen this type of commitment. I, I'm really in it. You keep are going, so keep in going. it, Julie. I'm sorry, but you are so in it. I fucking love it. Okay. Wait. So go, going back to Kim's confessional now, she says, I did have a conversation with Courtney. First, it was going to be a Dolce and Skims deal, but we couldn't get the product done in time. So I called her and I said, hey, the Skims factor is out, but I'm still going to creative direct the show. I don't know if she realized how big of a deal this was and how big of a production this is. Which what this made me think of is last week when we were talking about how, you know, when Courtney made that comment to Chloe last week about the superficiality of the family, and even in her confessional when she was talking about some of her issues with Kim, it did seem pretty out of the blue. And what you were saying is it was almost like it was laying the foundation in a very kind of OG reality show way of the plots to come on this season, which I know they do that every year, but I think this year it's feeling more like plot heavy in a way than 
last year did. And I know you know what I mean by that. And so this also to me felt very on par with her, you know, building this groundwork. I so agree. But can we go back to the quote for a second? Because how did you interpret what she meant when she was saying essentially that this creative directing gig and this thing with Dolce was going to be at a much larger magnitude than she thinks that Courtney realized? I took it exactly at face value that I think she doesn't think Courtney understands what's going into this. You know, it maybe Courtney thinks it's just a show and not a show that's unveiling the collection that she is also creative directing. Okay, here's my question. In this confessional, is Kim basically saying Courtney was fine with it? She didn't realize how big of a deal it was and then is laying the groundwork for once Courtney then realizes the magnitude of this campaign and how much, you know, is going into this and the press around it and how big it's going to be, that she then was upset? Or is Kim saying that Courtney doesn't realize how big of a deal this is for Kim and the magnitude of it, and therefore she has no right to be upset with her because this is something that Kim couldn't possibly turn down? Oh, no. I 1,000% took it as the former. I actually didn't even consider the latter until you just said it, and now I'm curious how other people took it. To me, what she was saying is like, yeah, Courtney seemed fine with it because I don't think she realizes how big of a fucking deal this is. And if she did, there's no way she would be down for it. That is honestly the way that I interpret it. Do you think that that's incorrect? No, I don't know. I was, I, I really wasn't sure. I, I mean, again, our guess is as good as anyone's, but I really think that it is the former. Because honestly, if she was saying, you know, I don't think Courtney realizes how big of a deal this was, to me, she would have probably said, I told Courtney and she didn't seem okay with it, but I don't think she realizes how big of a deal this was to me, so I couldn't turn it down. No, I'm standing by my initial thought. Although it's not like Kim is acting like Courtney is fine with this. It's not like she's going into these meetings or setting the scene that like, you know, I already spoke to Courtney and we're all good. Like she, she gave me the go ahead. Maybe she doesn't realize how big it is, but like, we're all good. She won't be upset. She is going into every single thing you're saying. And again, these are confessionals. It's recorded after. So it's really hard to understand the full scope because it's kind of like a narrative that's being rewritten after the fact. But Kim is going into all of these things still a little bit nervous about how Courtney's going to react as if she doesn't have her blessing in advance. But that's because Kim knows Courtney unbelievably well. You know, like to me, I interpreted that as, I know Courtney and I know that it is very possible that once she sees that me doing this in Milan has the potential in her eyes to overshadow the Dolce collab for her wedding, that could get her upset. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's, I, I don't know. To me, it makes, it makes total sense and honestly makes it even juicier. I like, I can't fucking wait till we really get into those scenes. I am so craving it in a serious way. No, I, I am flipping, which by the way, would uh, what, what you're saying about your interpretation of it or like half of my interpretation of it would make sense considering the timeline in the sense of it's not like these issues are happening in the moment where Kim is in the planning stages of this Dolce & Gabbana campaign and show and Courtney is now reacting as it's happening. Courtney isn't reacting until we see after the show because next week is Kim and Milan putting together all of these looks and which would mean that the episode with Courtney is after that. Yeah, I'm actually really curious if people would let us know in our DMs your interpretation of that line because I didn't even consider the other until you just said it. 
So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. All right, let's get into the main event, the moment we have all been waiting for, the ultimate trio back in action, Kim, Chloe, Scott, at Kim's house, talking about the show in the show. You ready? I am so ready. Of course, as a total side note, what are the odds that this episode comes out where Chloe and Scott are joking about them going on a date together right after our episode on Tuesday where we were fantasizing about a world in which they dated? Let me set the scene here. I wake up this morning at 7 a.m. to watch this episode and do the full outline. And obviously the first thing I do every single morning is check our DMs. And M, I know you saw them, but they were flooded. People could not get over the fact that we had just said this on the podcast and then here they were talking about it. So I turn on the episode to watch it. And here's this little bit where Scott comes in hacking up a lung and Chloe says to him, I hope you don't do that on a date because it's disgusting. And Scott's like, what dates? And Chloe goes, if I was on a date with somebody and they were hacking up a lung like that, like I would have to leave. First of all, like that's where you're going to draw the line. (laughs) Second of all, Scott says to her like, maybe you and I should go on a date. And the thing that I couldn't believe more than the fact that they were having this conversation after we had said it 
was Chloe's reaction to Scott saying that because Scott says it kind of jokingly. And Chloe goes, you and I like she's in disbelief that Scott says this. I'm like, don't you guys read the internet in this whole conversation you're about to have about reading the internet? Everybody wants you together. (laughs) Were you disappointed in her that she met him with such shock? Yeah, I was just like, wait, don't act like he's the crazy one. You're the crazy (laughs) one for not seeing what's going on. (laughs) Okay, so really getting into the core of it now, this is when Kim brings up to Chloe and Scott an article that is basically a review of the previous season of Kardashians. The title of the article is, The Kardashians has a plot-free, work-obsessed season on Hulu. So already this is significant because they are acknowledging negative criticism. And she says to Chloe and Scott, listen to this article. It says... The season's first episode was set closer to the present as Chloe reveals to the camera that she's to have a baby via surrogate, a state of affairs she had been unwilling to discuss on camera throughout the process, re-emphasizes what we see is what we are allowed to see. Which there's already so much here. I mean, just the fact that this is the review Kim decided to read on camera and she's, you know, explaining that in her confessional. And then when they cut back to the scene, Chloe is, I think, a little bit pissed. And she says, with my surrogacy, I was so fucking vulnerable. She's like, I let people in to see what I was struggling with. Kim's like, yeah, but what they're saying is that you did it after the fact when the baby was about to be born instead of saying, hey, we're on this journey. And Chloe's like, I wasn't admitting to myself what was happening. And I made that very clear. Okay. But need to pause, like immediately need to debrief that. Can I tell you how I felt during this scene? Yes. The only way I can describe it is like, When two of your friends are having an issue and each one of them has spoken to you individually, but then you have to now solve the problem between them without letting either of them know that you know what the other one has said. Like, that's how I felt. I felt so fucking helpless in this situation because I was like, I can translate between what you think and what people are saying because there's a major disconnect here. Yes. The helplessness was overpowering. And honestly... I would say in the last two seasons of Kardashians, I swear to God, this was the scene that I wanted to be included in the most. I know it was rather mundane compared to some of the things that we've seen. You know, some of you daredevils may have loved to be in the gym with Kim when she got the call from Chloe, but like, no, this is the scene that I wanted to be boots on the ground for. This is the scene because it's the only scene in the history of Kardashians where I could actually add value. Okay, before really diving into their conversation here, we thought it was necessary to just take a moment to give everyone a refresher on the way season two was laid out because we had honestly kind of forgotten ourselves. And as we went back, it was important to almost reorient ourselves on the way that that whole thing was set up. So just a moment of context to make sure we are all on the same page. If you guys remember, the second to last episode of season one was the end of the gym scene with the cliffhanger when Kim is in the gym and she finds out. The finale of season one was the gym scene and then the aftermath of Tristan cheating. But throughout this entire episode, there is zero mention of the surrogate. So then the season two premiere was what would have been the season two finale. So in the first few minutes of the episode, we have Chloe in that light pink dress in her confessional, you know, outlining everything that had happened. And she says, yeah, you guys saw in the finale of season one, Kim in the gym, finding out about Tristan cheating, finding out that Tristan had another baby born, but what you didn't see was me telling him to get off speakerphone because we had just done the embryo transfer. So Chloe is saying here that, you know, she filmed the entire season two without mentioning the surrogate, right? So the last 10 minutes of the premiere of season two is 
July 28th, the day that the baby was born. If you remember, it's Chloe in the French braids, her and Kim on their way to the hospital, them in the delivery room when the surrogate is giving birth, her making the decision to allow Tristan to come to the hospital, her FaceTiming True to show True the baby. And then the second episode of season two flashes back and the first minute is the black screen white writing when it says, the remainder of season two was filmed six months before the previous episode right? So it then reverses. It takes us through the entire season two, no mention of the surrogate. And then the finale was Paris Fashion Week with North, but also the family meeting Chloe's baby. So I honestly just think it's really important for us to remember kind of how season two was laid up so that we can discuss this as intelligently as possible. Big breath. That was a lot. That was a lot. I I I think I did okay though. You killed it. I honestly forgot how insane that season two opener was and how insane the season one finale was like that was some of the best television we have ever gotten and so that was my frustration also in this conversation where chloe is saying that she can't believe that that's the criticism because she gave so much if i was chloe i would be shocked that that was the criticism too considering those two episodes the thing that i was frustrated by in terms of where i wanted to jump into this conversation was The issue was not that Chloe didn't share enough. She shared everything of that. Like she gave us those two episodes. She gave us the information. She gave us the drama. The issue that I think everybody had with season two was A, compared to season one, it was a huge letdown. We can all be honest. That season one was incredible. It exceeded our expectation. And season two was fairly boring with the exception of that one episode. But the other thing is that When they're discussing this, Chloe is looking at it in terms of how much she gave, right? She's not looking at it in terms of episode one, episode two, episode three, episode four. She's looking at it in terms of her surrogacy journey and her giving us that. What I wanted to explain was, yes, you gave us that. And then the rest of the season after that was pretty much a letdown. And so it it had nothing to do with how much she shared. It had to do with Honestly, it wasn't even Chloe. It was the rest of the family kind of not pulling their parts for the remainder of the episodes. I know. And I think you laid that out perfectly. And I so deeply share in your frustration of not being able to physically be there with them to try to you know, communicate that. Because I agree with you. If I'm Chloe, I am shocked and pissed and appalled that that is a criticism when I feel like I have you know, bared my soul during one of the most traumatic experiences of my entire life, something that she couldn't even come to terms with herself, let alone explain it to an audience, you know, let alone get glammed, go into a confessional and really walk us through her trauma. But to your point, all of that was concentrated in the first episode. And then even as she said in her confessional, she didn't mention it throughout the rest of the season. And so that was kind of lacking, but I understand from her eyes how she did kind of give it all. It's 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 such a shitty situation you know, overall. And of course, now we have the added context of how deep that pain continued to build based on her being so honest last episode about, you know, the block she felt in terms of being able to connect to the baby. But hold on. Okay. Then when Kim is saying, you know, continuing on with the article, and then it said, the rapper now known as Ye, Kim's ex-husband is a non-presence. She says, okay, what do you want me to do? If I don't talk to him, what am I going to do? Send a camera? It's not that I'm unwilling. It's that my ex didn't want to be on a reality show. And Scott's like, yeah, but we know that. And in her confessional, Kim says, you can't film with someone that's not a cast member that doesn't have aspirations of being on a reality show, bottom line. I talk about him. I will definitely talk about my co-parenting struggles, but from my point of view, which I know 
obviously we love what we're about to get into with the the peat of it all, but this this moment needs to be acknowledged. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that not a little Amelia Bedelia of her? <laughs> what do you mean? Like she took the yay's presence so literally. I don't think that anybody's criticism was not physically seeing him on the show. Like they were separated at the time. We got, I think, one scene in that first season where he takes the kids to school in a, in a fire truck. Like Kanye has never been a presence on the show. I don't think anybody who was viewing the show from a critical lens as a watcher of the show for seasons and seasons, including keeping up with the Kardashians, was expecting Kanye to be on the show. It was just like him gave us very, very little in terms of the details of what was going on with Kanye. I think that's what they meant by Kanye's presence. Okay, yes, that is exactly how I felt. I also think that there was a part of her that, I mean, listen, it's not to say that she didn't mention anything last season and also she was still figuring out how to handle it, but I think she was channeling a lot of what she was doing this season, which was really going deep. And that frustration was then coming across the criticism from last season. Whereas, you know, what she's giving us this season is, is very different with the Kanye situation, you know? I was like so frustrated watching this that I wrote a list on my phone down of like all of the things that they could have given us that they didn't. Because that's the one thing they didn't acknowledge in all of this. Like they're talking about what they did share, what they could have shared, what they couldn't share. Like they didn't really acknowledge the fact in this season that like the criticism of them not sharing enough and it being a very work-focused season and it not being overwhelming in terms of drama or details was definitely a fair criticism. You want to hit me with a few? Yeah, I would love to. One, details and timeline. That is the main thing that they keep missing. Everything is given to us in the vaguest possible terms. If Chloe doesn't want to talk about Tristan and the surrogate, then Chloe could have spoken about when her and Tristan got back together, what went into that decision, how long they were back together before the cheating scandal. Like There was more that she could have given us. Two, Scott in his physical form or a conversation about that fact that Scott wasn't there at all. You know what I mean? Like here was this gaping absence of Scott. And if you weren't going to have him be in, at least have a conversation about him not being in. Um, Any conversation about Scott and Courtney's co-parenting and the new dynamic of it. Any of the conversations between Chloe and Tristan and what it looked like following the pregnancy scandal, even if told from someone else's point of view. So a conversation where Kim and Chris are talking about a conversation between Chloe and Tristan, and therefore it's not an intimate conversation between Chloe and Tristan, which would have, you know, maybe been crossing a line or been too much to share, but a recap of that conversation. And anything that had to do with Pete and the decision to meet the kids and the relationship progressing, because if you remember, one of our biggest criticisms of last season was that her and Pete had broken up and it seemed like a lot of the Pete scenes had been edited out. And then also Chloe, Kim and Courtney's dynamic was not really discussed last season. It's only this season now that there's the Dolce Gabbana drama that we're really getting into it. That's what my list was. Did that feel really good to list out? I feel like it did. I mean, it did for me. Do do you feel like, do you feel like you agree? I feel, I so agree. And I feel so fulfilled by that, but I, I have to imagine you feel more fulfilled because I know you and I know the frustration that must've taken over for you to take out your phone and start writing that shit down in a notes app. Like I can list out other times when you've done exactly that. And it, it is always stemmed from like a deep frustration and that is where you channel it. And so I feel so happy that you just were able to list that off. I fucking loved hearing that. <laughs> Thank you. I do. I can't. can't. Well, okay. Hold on. On that last point about the Pete thing, I think let us get into now what Kim says. Yes. 
Yes, but could you believe she said his name? I kind of couldn't. It was the same feeling I got when she said Kanye's name. Okay, did you see how in this, even in this one scene when she says my ex, she's like going back and forth with my initial prediction that clearly I, I know I was wrong about, obviously, about that she wasn't going to ever say his name. But you can tell she's toying with it a little. Because like even in the Jay Shetty you know, interview, for example, like she will never say the word Kanye. I think that she was getting comfortable with the idea of never saying Kanye. Okay, you know what I think it is? Before her saying Kanye on the show, I thought that there was a legal reason possibly behind it. I'm thinking now, and I'm not sure if Kim is in therapy or not. I don't know if she said that in the Jay Shetty interview, but I know that that's like a breakup tactic where like you don't give life to the name where you like only refer to them as an ex. So that's what it feels more like Kim is doing in terms of like a recovery process in terms of not saying Kanye's name rather than like a strict rule against doing it. That's interesting. I... I do know that that can be a tactic. I My mind didn't go there, honestly. To me, it felt more strategic, not from a legal perspective. I remember even when we had mentioned that, we had some lawyers in RDM saying that like the actual mention of the name isn't necessarily a factor. I just, you know, from like a, a PR lens, that's where my mind went. But that could certainly be the case. And yes, I was surprised and happy that she said Pete's name. But okay, I need to read verbatim what she says here. She says to Chloe and Scott, You know, even in the dating conversation, once there's a story about you, you start to believe the hype that you're together and oh my God, it's hot and heavy. It's everywhere. And everyone thinks you guys are like practically getting married in a week. It's hard when you start dating someone and you live your life on a reality show. So Pete and I had that conversation right away. You obviously know what you're getting yourself into, but then the fans were like, Pete's not on the show. And I was like, we said that from the start. It's not what he does. Which you remember one of the things that Kim had said a while back, but way before they had broken up was that because Pete is used to cameras in a very different way than she is, when he sees cameras, he feels as though he needs to perform, obviously, you know, as an actor, as a comedian. And so for her, she can be her quote, natural self. For him, the cameras is is anything but his natural self. And that was, aside from maybe not wanting it, that was also one of the roadblocks why he specifically didn't want it. But by the way, an example of a great thing that could have been given to us on the show, which is Kim recapping that conversation. Kim calling up Chloe and said, you know, P and I had a really big conversation last night. Yes, this probably would have been season one. It's not a season two fix, but that's another minor example of like a detail that could have been given in terms of it doesn't require Pete's presence, but we still get the bulk of that conversation and the insight into your relationship just as told to us in a different way. I think though, yes, like I'm so deeply on your page. I think though, in terms of framing it from the lens of like, you know, this is what's going to be shown. This is not what's going to be shown and and going through that. I do think there is something to be said with them getting increasingly more comfortable with this docuseries like format, you know, in season three, they're maybe comfortable having this conversation where they are on the show, pulling up reviews on of the show. That's something they would have never done on Keeping Up. And so it makes sense to me that it took them until this season to really go deep into that. I'm not saying the other stuff couldn't have been mentioned, but I'm saying in this particular format of mentioning it, like really walking through what's shown and what's not, it makes sense to me that they're doing that in season three. Season one then was still getting used to the Hulu of it all. I mean, season one then was perfect though. It was fucking perfect obviously i'm so, i'm only talking about it from the angle of like the meta-ness right you know yes of course so then this is when chloe responds if i'm newly dating someone i'm not going to have them on the show though you know if i'm newly dating someone that's weird and kim's like yeah you know i opened up i had him on the show i talked about everything and scott goes yeah what else do you want to like see us in bed together which by the way i'm like yeah that's fucking exactly yeah. what we want 
And don't make me feel weird about it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. By the way, Scott, so to fucking you. Remember at no. Ellen, at uh, Chris's house when Ellen was there and he was saying that they FaceTimed him from bed? No, I can't. Also, oh my God, by the way, best addition to the list, the friendship between Scott and Pete that we never got. That would have been the best season two plot we could have asked for. Well, in general, I mean, we do get into this in a second when he says, yeah, I'm always here. You guys just don't, you know, don't call me, which we'll talk about in a second. I do wish that they like focused on that a little bit more. I wish Kim looked at the camera in this moment and was like, I know you guys want more Scott. Here he is. Like it maybe would have been too much, but I would have loved it. Me too. But by the way, there's an obvious shift of something that happened with Scott. It's not just that the reviews were like, we want more Scott. Like for him to go from not being in it at all, except for one single episode last season, I think talking to Kendall about flipping a house to we now get him in two episodes of two episodes so far. Like there is an obvious familial switch that happened with Scott, not a full switch, but like, I think maybe at this time last year, he was going through something or the family, there was a little bit of a disconnect that they then healed. I felt that way on his birthday too. Like I remember last year on his birthday feeling like they don't, they weren't doing that much for him in terms of social media posts. And then this year he got a long paragraph from Chloe and a long paragraph from Chris and a long paragraph from Kim on Insta story. Like something there's, there's definitely more to that story. Well, I think a lot of it was that he was like really in the middle of processing the Courtney Travis thing. I know it wasn't so new, but I still think he was in that space. And so it couldn't be light and easy with him because I don't think he was in a spot where he could be light and easy, you know? And like they didn't, and and again, Chloe, I mean, Courtney really did not want to hone in on that. And so I- Well, that's what I think it is more. Well, yeah. Also them, I mean, listen, I do think Courtney's probably okay with Scott being on the show as long as it's not in the context of like, talking about his misery associated with her and Travis because she feels like it puts a cloud. She, Courtney is just one of the many executive producers. She can't say, and I don't think she would say like, no, Scott, you know, Scott can't be on the show at all. If if I'm Kim, I'm like, fuck that. Well, I, I, okay. So that's what I'm thinking is that whatever happened last season with Scott not having a presence had to do with Courtney not wanting him to have a presence on the show. Like forget about in the context of her. I think she just didn't feel comfortable with Scott's after what happened in season one, after the way Scott was portrayed. I think she didn't feel comfortable with having Scott on the show in that capacity for season two. And then I think once the season two reviews came in and everybody was like, where's Scott? Where's Scott? Where's Scott? You're missing a huge aspect of the show. Everybody wants to see Scott. And then it's then calling into question their relationship with Scott. The rest of the family was like, fuck that. And I think that's what we saw happen. And that could also be a reason whether Courtney's going to say it or not, why this tension between her and Kim is really brewing so heavily because I think that like, you know, there's this obvious air that is happening between the first episode and now this episode where we've seen Courtney, Chloe, and Kim be the trio for so long. And now it's giving us the vibe of a trio of Kim, Chloe, and Scott. But I am willing to give Courtney the benefit of the doubt that it's not that she did not want Scott at all. I think she did not feel as though Scott was capable of being on the show in a capacity that wasn't related to whatever he was feeling about her and Travis. That's why I think she was so yeah. hellbent on not having him. I, I Listen, I mean, again, as we have said a million times over, if we are choosing, we ride for Kim. Like, fucking forget about it. But I... I, I I think the two are connected. 
You know what I mean? Like if she, she yeah. I don't think she had a problem with him in a, let's say in a more lighthearted capacity being on the show. I just think she didn't feel that he was capable of that. And also maybe because it was the introduction to her kind of fairy tale life, which I don't know. I mean, I can't even put myself in that headspace because it frustrates me, but yeah. Oh my God. Fascinating though. Fascinating. Like Julie, fucking fascinating. Okay. So this is when Scott, you know, Chloe then just affirms, she's like, I I have no guilt. I show a lot about my life. I'm very, very vulnerable and I feel good about that, which I was nodding my head saying, as you should, like nobody is coming down on you for that of anything. And Kim and her confessional saying, you know, when we started keeping up, all of us were 20 years old. We had no kids, no lives. This was our only job and our only career. There wasn't even social media. So for anyone to even want the same thing, now I know what it's like when people would be like, yeah, I want the old artist back and I want the old. No, I get it. People grow and evolve. It's funny because I- mean I, the I old think, Kanye? The old Kanye, yeah. I was going to say she was obviously thinking that. You can give me that spiel all day long. All I want is the old Kanye back and all you want is the old Kanye back too. Yeah, no. I did love hear her talking about though, you know, the inception of of the show and just like- that really brought me back to the Calabasas Ranch days. Well, I mean, it is also so interesting when she talks about the fact that like, this was their life. Like, of course they were going to share every single detail and give us every single detail. A, because, you know, they didn't really have the awareness at that time to understand what they were doing fully, but also like, this was their whole job. This was their whole career. There was no other option. Now they're executive producers on the show. They get a say into what they want to have shown. They have kids they have to protect. They have brands they have to protect. Like we are playing with a completely different family here almost in a lot of ways. And so it is interesting hearing her have that awareness of what has changed and and why it's changed. Well, and that's why when Scott asks the question, you know, so in a perfect world, what would you guys want? Would you want to keep going and everybody commit or would you want to kind of put the show on the back burner and just live your life without a camera? And they pause for a second and Kim says, no, we love filming. We love our show. Chloe and I give. And Scott then says, I think the show is a centerpiece to the whole franchise, which we'll get into this more in one second, but that one Chloe and I give line, so, so layered. The one thing that I will say is that Chloe says to Kim, you know, no matter what show we're on, no matter what season, like it's you and me, like we are always giving. And I will say, If I was Courtney, I would be really pissed about that. Like Courtney in the later seasons has she's given us much, not exactly. But in the earlier seasons of Kardashians and for a very long time, she gave us more than anybody. She was giving us the most intimate look at her life, at her life with Scott, the struggles with that, some of the deepest, darkest times of their relationship. And so to say, no matter what season, no matter what show, it's always going to be just you and me. Like you're rewriting history here. I, yes, a thousand percent. I mean, especially given that you and I are in the process of a rewatch from the very beginnings, you know, say what you want about current day Courtney, OG Courtney gave. I think Kim is certainly thinking about it more in recent years. And this was very similar, you know, to, of course, the infamous physical fight between her and Courtney, which came after Kim said, yeah, you know, me and Chloe and, and Kendall. Like, right. And that's when Courtney kind of lost it. I know it's different there. She was there talking about showing up to jobs, but it's, it's all under the same umbrella. The common denominator is like work ethic is basically what she's saying. Kim honestly associates giving to the show with like work ethic. Well, right. Because that fight was, was sparked by the comment that Kim made about Kylie being too sick to follow through with her duties in Paris. 
and saying, you know, mom is so used to me and Chloe and honestly, Kendall, who always, you know, show up and always do what we need to do. And it wouldn't even be a question if we were sick. And it was such a pointed thing at Courtney that Courtney then reacts to that one comment. But the whole fight leading up to that and what they had been going at for the seasons prior to that is Courtney not wanting to film, Courtney not wanting to show up to film the show, to do her scenes, to do what she needed to do. And so, yes, was the fight sparked by that one comment? Of course. But this idea of Courtney not giving or opening or being vulnerable or even showing up to filming is something that is going back now years and years. Yeah, no, it runs really, really deep. I mean, and again, we will continue to get into this as the season progresses. The way this kind of ends is just with, you know, Kim basically saying, I always want to film. I want to give it my all. I I always want to be a a part of it. And Scott then asking them, listen, guys, I'm available. It just so happens to be that you don't call me, but I'm ready to go. Chloe goes, put a wig on and be one of the sisters. He's like, I should be a sister. And that kind of concludes one of the greatest scenes we have yet to receive. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you, or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Okay, so I wanna talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them, the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. Okay, so we now go to Courtney's shoot with WSJ for the Lemmy launch. And she's just talking about how this was kind of five years in the making and how, you know, it's hard to do something when the energy in your life isn't right, but now the timing can be more perfect. And the producer asked her, you know, anything that took someone five years to get to, there's something underneath there. What's that story? To which she responds, and I'm reading this verbatim, 
I think it was like the pressure, mostly from Kim. Like, what's your business? I have my thing and I have my thing. And then it's like, well, what's yours? I mean, Kim and I are 18 months apart. So we definitely grew up more competitive. Although I've let that part go. I'm not sure she has. I like to rage against the machine and I don't know, just not do what everyone's asking of me or expecting of me. And she's basically saying, you know, I just felt like being true to myself, taking my time and not rushing to get it out basically on someone else's timeline. Which again, it's going back to the like reality TV setting up framework of it all. Prime example here. I'm even just mentioning the competitive nature. It's really funny that Courtney said the thing about her and Kim being competitive because, and tell me if you had this thought, in the last episode of Courtney and Kim Take New York that we just watched, Kim and Chloe get into this huge blowout fight and it's Courtney that's in confessional and Courtney that's explaining that she's kind of in the middle. Like she has this great relationship with Kim and she also has this great relationship with Chloe. And it's the two of them that are kind of at odds with each other. And they have always grown up being really competitive with each other where she never really fell into that. So it's so interesting having just watched that episode and hearing Courtney explain that about Chloe and Kim's dynamic to now Courtney explaining it about her and Kim's dynamic. Right. And in my eyes, it was always that Courtney and Kim were the more competitive ones. Not to say that Chloe, listen, in the OG days, Chloe did feel, I don't want to say threatened by Kim's success, but you remember in those, in those scenes, like Chloe was the first one coming down hard on Chris for feeling as though she was prioritizing Kim and all of that. There was definitely some insecurity in those early days. But if you were to ask me overall, I would have, and comparing the three, I would have said it was, it was Courtney and Kim that were the most competitive with one another. But yeah, I mean, even just this whole thing when she says here, you know, there was pressure mostly from Kim. Like she, I don't think she's wrong about that. I think hundred percent Kim was saying to her, okay, what's your thing? Come on. Right. And it's such an interesting dynamic that here is Kim saying, what's your thing? What's your thing? Come on, you have to have something. And here Courtney is sitting on something that she has, that she's passionate about, that she wants to do. And it's not even that she's just sitting on it and letting it take its time and it'll come out when it's ready. She's not even divulging that information to Kim to get her off her back. Like she is so dead set on doing something on her own time frame, on her own timeline, and however she wants to do it. In, with zero regards to the pressure that Kim is putting on her, that she's not even saying to Kim, no, I actually do have this amazing idea and it's going to be really successful. It's so exactly how you would have envisioned this to go down though. You know, like- Exactly. It's exactly. It, it's honestly, it's comforting almost. The predictability of it is almost comforting as someone who claims to be, you know, a, a major Kardashian like historian. Exactly. I derive so much comfort from when they are painfully on brand. Yes. I also got to tell you, you know, say what you want about Courtney. I love me some Lemmy gummies. The Lemmy sleep heads. I popped those like fucking candy. So no, nothing was funnier to me than Simon saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's the best tasting vagina. Like it's, it's pineapple extract. It's going to be the best, sweetest day. I'm like, what? Simon was killing me. Every time he pops up, I'm just like, I fucking love you. <laughs> I know. Okay. So Chloe and Malika, Chloe's house. I mean, this was obviously a, a very emotional scene because, you know, this is when Malika's fully understanding the magnitude of what was going on with Chloe's melanoma scare. And I, I think, you know, we don't have to recap every moment of, of this scene, but I, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was one Malika saying the same thing that many other people have said about Chloe, which is 
oftentimes when she is struggling the most, she takes care of herself the least because one, she never wants to be a burden to everyone else. And second of all, almost as a way to distract from what's going on with her, you know, she prioritizes the other people in her life, which I think, you know, if you're in the position of her best friend, it's also a hard spot to be in because you want to feel like you are also protecting the person that you feel is such a protector to you. And I think as someone very close to Chloe, it's sometimes hard to be able to serve that role. But even like on the smallest scale, even in this one interaction, which was obviously coming from Alika, who adores Chloe, who is so, you know, loving towards her and cares about her like she is her blood. Even still, what ended up happening in the scene was Chloe comforting Malika. And that's not at all a hit at Malika. It just goes to show you that it is so ingrained in in Chloe's character that even something that is so clearly about her turns into something like that because that's the environment that she creates. Even just this one interaction, we got to see what is so clearly a larger a larger theme throughout her life. And it, it, you know, part of it is yes, it's who she is, but it's also upsetting to me that she's almost been conditioned to handle things like this based on the amount of trauma she's gone through. I just, oh, I just, I feel for Chloe. Like I, I, I care for her like the way that I care for a friend. I know I've said that before, but it just, so especially a scene like this, it really hits me. I know, me too. You know what I was thinking during the scene in response to you saying in terms of like, even in this dynamic, Chloe's still kind of the one taking care of Malika. I think obviously this was very raw emotion from Malika. Like this wasn't (laughs) anything that was a planned scene by any means. I think this was really Malika processing this scare with her best friend in real time. But it was almost like if it had been thought out, like it was a good tactic. You know what I mean? It's like, well, if I'm not going to be able to convince Chloe on her own to start taking care of herself and she's not going to let me be there in that capacity, let me let her see what it does to me to not let me let her be there in that capacity. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't a tactic, but like hypothetically, if it was, yes. I just, they have such a bond. Like they really, really do. It's one one of the friendships within their entire inner circle that I would say, is the strongest. And I also loved when Malika says to her, you know, it would be clearing for you to just have a good cry. And Chloe's response goes to show you that she is so afraid of going to that spot because I think she feels, you know, once she goes there, I don't know if she's going to be able to stop herself. And as she says, like, when you're a mom, you just have to be okay. And it's, it's interesting because for someone that is so vulnerable with us as the audience, clearly going to that space, even on her own time, like forget about showing anything is a really difficult place for her to get to. And it's just, internalization is, I don't care who you are, it is never the solution, you know? And if therapy isn't your thing, then there has to be some other outlet to get that out. We as human beings are meant to emote and keeping it in as a self-protection mechanism is simply not going to give you the results that you think it is going to give because you're only setting yourself up for a harder processing later down the line. Like, I swear to God, if I had, that's like my fucking hill that I will die on. I always say that to you. I know it is. Do I not? Of course you do. So skipping around here, we go to Kylie in Milan where nothing really to point out here other than that moment in her confessional when she's saying, you know, she took a lot of personal time in her early 20s to focus on being a young mom. And she's like, I now want to spend the rest of my 20s really focused on work and, and dive into it. And Chris has instilled in all of them to kind of be hard workers, which is interesting because not that it's a criticism Kylie got, but it's definitely something people were picking up on. Like, I don't want to say her apathy to the business because that's not the case. I think she just, it wasn't her number one priority, which is fine. But her making that comment was very intentional. Like, all right, guys, I'm back. And and let's let's see what I have in store for Kylie Cosmetics, I think. I just feel like Kylie is just back in general. And it's not that she ever went away. And it's 
by the way, to clarify again, not a criticism of her taking her time to like really enjoy being a young mom. It's just like, I feel like Kylie has come back with a bang recently. Oh my God, in a big way. I mean, as we've said many times, we are in a big Kylie phase, but more on that in a moment when we go to Harrods. We then go to the scene with, uh, <laughs> I felt like very, um, that was like very Al Roker coded, no? Yeah, it was like, and, and um, <laughs> more on that, yeah. Not Al Roker coded. <laughs> uh, okay, so wait, Chris at Scott's. I mean, first of all, I remember this happening in real time, this accident. And one, thank God he's okay. Second of all, hearing him outline, it was so like scary and him climbing out of the sunroof. I mean, just a very unsettling experience, especially that Penelope had to see it and, and all of that. I I do just want to mention in you know this scene, these are the moments when, not that we were worried or, I mean, I know there was a period we were worried, but then we kind of got over it. These are the moments where you're like, all right, they're in it for the long haul with Scott. You know, like I know Chris was coming up here to film this scene, but- Chris also would have been the first one there for Scott regardless. Yes, but you know, it's so funny because they're really making it such a point to tell us Scott didn't go anywhere. Like we are still family with Scott. Like even Chris and, and her confessional, it's like, okay, we see the scenes with Scott. Like we get the point. We believe you. But even here she is. She's like, oh my God, what does she say in this scene? Fuck, I don't have it in front of me because I have the notes. One second. Oh, and she says, I love Scott and we all love Scott and Scott will always be part of our family. He's the father of my grandchildren and he's just my kid. I know I just said we didn't need it and like we believe you, but like hearing Chris say he's my kid, I'm sorry, that that doesn't get old. I I did. No. I actually, I really needed that in a way that I can't even explain. So I yeah, take it all I, back. But also she, it was so intentional. I mean, they, they clearly saw, as we know from Kim, like they saw what was being said and they want to make sure that that point is very known. Like Scott is not going anywhere, which yeah, we know it, but fucking tell us. You want to tell us? I'm here to listen. You want to assure me that Scott's not leaving? I am here to be assured. But you know what it is also? It's like, yeah, of course it's for Scott and it's for reminding people who had had a lot of criticism or a lot of questions about it. But it's also for the purpose of not getting the backlash in terms of their relationship with Tristan because so much of the Tristan conversation is like, wow, like you can forgive Tristan. He's such a present part of your lives. He's at every family event and now Scott gets the short end of the stick. Like, how is that fair? And so I think a huge part of them emphasizing the relationship with Scott, not having the relationship with Scott, just emphasizing it is also to protect Scott and them against those Tristan comparisons. Yeah, I think that it's it's definitely, you know, multi-layered, certainly. But I want to now <laughs> jump on over to Harrods. <laughs> Again? And, yep, that just me jumping. And, uh, okay, so, wait, wait. So this is when, you know, Kylie is seeing the display, whatever. Really the thing to talk about here, obviously, is just Stormy being the cutest kid in the entire world and her just dancing around Harrods, her and the butler, her making sure that the chocolate didn't have nuts. I mean, I just cannot get enough of Stormy and Stormy and Kylie together. But the other moment is when she's sitting with Fi and, and, you know, just reminiscing on when her and Kendall used to like really shut down the mall. Like here they would have these meet and greets at PacSun and it would be the event of the century. And Julie and I were like reminiscing on this ourselves and we were pulling out some of the articles just for context, the real PacSun years was 
let's say 2013, 2014, because the Kendall and Kylie collection of Paxson dropped in 2013. And these, these headlines, I mean, if you look up headlines from around that time, it's like Kylie and Kendall Jenner draw a massive crowd of 1000 fans, which was massive at the time, but just, you know, to think fast forward 10 years. And also just in case anyone was curious about this, Stas and Kylie met, remember they met at that Barnes and Noble meetup when they were 13 in 2011. Here's the question, because now, now I, I feel gaslit by that story. I always remember the story being that Kylie and Stas met at Barnes & Noble at a Kylie meet and greet sort of thing. But wasn't Stas on Call Her Daddy saying it wasn't yes, meet and no, greet? that's not yeah. what happened. It was just, the, it was just, they were just hanging out in Barnes & Noble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a meet and greet. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. I, I may have presented that in a confusing way. I didn't mean that it was the meet and greet. I'm just saying if we're also going through this timeline of, because, you know, in 2013 and 2014, obviously Stoss was like very much in, in the crew. And that relationship formed in 2011 when they met, when they were 13 at the Barnes and Noble. Yes, it was not a meet and greet. I also thought that my whole life until she clarified that on Call Her Daddy. But so did everybody. Like when I was looking at the articles of of these packs on meet and greets and I was looking at the Stoss timeline, timeline too, every single article that's like, who is Stoss? Like meet Stassi baby, Kylie's best friend. Like the two became friends after they met at a meet and greet for a Kylie event at Barnes and Noble. Like everybody has just run with that narrative, even news outlets. Right. Which by the way, if that's really, if that really is true and Stoss is just trying to rewrite history, I, what a way to do it on Call Her Daddy. I know. I also want to say, let's say the King Kylie era was roughly 2014 to 2016, somewhere around there, give or take. Julie and I before were just looking on on Pinterest, you know, going through some articles. And I'm going to put a link or two to just refresh your memory because if we thought Kylie was cool, God, looking at her now, I'm like, you were the coolest, the coolest in that matte black G-Wagon with the fucking Chanel boy bag on the front seat and, you know, the overwhelming amount of Cartier's, the iced out Rolex. Like I I just, God, my 2016 self and my 2023 self really cannot get over the impact of Kylie Jenner. Everyone marks the end of Tumblr as the day they took porn off of it. It wasn't. It was the day that Kylie stopped posting on it. That was the death of Tumblr. Yep. I agree with you. Because by the way, a million other places you can get porn no other places you could get that King Kylie content. You know, when you were like 16, especially as a girl, by the way, like I think that you didn't really know where to find porn besides Tumblr. <laughs> Speak for yourself on that one. A lot, a lot of people did it. A lot of people, a lot of other people. Did. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So we are now <laughs> concluding what I have. I've been, you know, Sex positive since the jump. All right. We now go <laughs> to <laughs> close. Me too, just on Tumblr. <laughs> have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. 
So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Okay, so second to last scene here, this is Chloe and Chris at Chloe's house. Obviously, this was a, you know, a deep scene and they were talking about the melanoma and just, you know, Chris talking about how it was impacting her. And I, I think in general, just the entire family kind of recognizing the weight of the situation here. Obviously, it takes a, a more lighthearted turn when Chris puts her shoes on the counter and Chloe absolutely fucking flips, which that's Chris's first mistake. Like if there's one house I'm not doing that in, it's Chloe's. Forget about Chloe's house. I'm not even doing it like in a scenario in which she could maybe find out about it. I know, I know. Anyway, so we conclude this episode with Kim in the Dolce & Gabbana meeting. And we will see more of this unfold. I mean, the preview when D- Danielle forgets her passport, that was like riveting and then we haven't even seen it yet. But basically two things here. One, it is just really emphasizing how big of a deal this is for Kim for so many reasons, but really to me, because of how much this role in fashion signals her independence. I've said it before, but I just can't say it enough because I think it is so true. Like there's a huge part of her, not that she was, she pretty much said it, but like her creative directing this Dolce Gabbana show in some ways was a fuck you to Kanye of like, I can do this by myself and don't think that I can. Um, You know, so there was that aspect to it, but also as she says in her confessional to end this, you know, for me to do a project like this, it just means so much to me. It really does. But I am a little worried about Courtney just because I'm never going to fight with family bottom line. I don't know. Like, I just don't want this to kill my vibe. So let's talk about it. And we then see the preview for the rest of the season. Okay. What do you mean you're not going to fight with, with family? We watched you physically fist fight, like not that long ago. Watch Chloe take a magic eraser to the wall to get the makeup off after you left <laughs> your like literal DNA on the wall. Also, we've like watched you fight a lot. Like you, <laughs> like Chloe woke you up and you wrote the most scathing, hurtful email I've ever heard in my entire life. Also, you literally clocked Chloe in the face with your Louie after she was shitting on your Bentley. Like want us to keep going. <laughs> also, by the way, I'm sorry. I cannot skip over the scene from next week. Who the fuck is Fred? They always have these ridiculous code names, you know? But was Fred real or was like Fred a bit? Like, I feel like, I feel like we're going to get the scene so excited that like 
you know, we're never going to find out Fred's identity, but like, here's Kim talking to a guy that we're never going to find out about. And like, if this was keeping up with the Kardashians, the way that this would play out is that like Kim's so excited about this new guy, but like it's Scott pranking her and like texting her from a fake number. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think we're going to find out who it was, but I do think that it's very, like, I, I do think it's a legitimate thing, you know, in that like they were probably trying to set her up and we'll get a little bit of that. She's never going to give us that much, but I don't think it's like an art vandalized situation. Do you think we know who Fred is? Definitely. And do you think that Fred was picked at as a random name or do you think that we could figure out who Fred is based on him being given a specific code name of Fred? I think that I can't answer that until I get a little bit more context, but holy fuck, will that be a fun game if we do think there could be? I think probably not, but also if they know what's good for him and they want to add a little fun to the situation, yeah. Yeah, if they know what's good for him. You don't think Danielle forgetting her passport is like the craziest thing ever? No, I'm like so mad at her about it. I know, I know. Okay, well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I will say if you are someone that listens to this every week, you live for the Kardashians in the way that we do and you've been listening for a while, you haven't left a review, it would be the nicest thing ever. No pressure, zero pressure. But like, if you feel like leaving five stars and a really nice review, it does really help us and... Our producer always tells us to do it because we never ask. Okay. Love you, love you, love you. Thank you. Have an amazing weekend and we will be back on Tuesday. Bye.